This is the Breachside Broadcast, the best Vox casting either side of the breach. Listeners, welcome to Tales of Malifaux. Although you can only hear my voice and not see my face, I am your announcer. We do enjoy your feedback here, be it positive or otherwise. We've had some correspondence about last week's programme, relating to our sound effects during an advert for Uncle Catfish's Firearm Emporium. We do apologise, listener. On occasion, the sound effects get out of control and need to be brought back into line. Rest assured, it won't happen again. Today's stories are Secrets Within and Staying Dead. Secrets Within Rashmitina couldn't help but smile when she saw Leviticus and Alice standing across the train platform from her. The two of them were made for each other, she thought despite the wide difference in their ages. Very few people had been kind to Rasputina since her arrival in this city. The guild was notoriously cruel to its convict labour. She reminded herself that she had resolved to repay those two for their kindnesses when she had the means. She noted, too, the fresh-faced woman in the striking red cape that conversed with them. The sword in its beautiful scabbard at her hip drew Rasputina's attention. The sight of it gave her a sudden chill down her spine for reasons she couldn't explain. All around Rasputina, mining labour had gathered, waiting to board the train to Ridley Station, where they would then depart for their respective work sites to begin their shifts in the mines. Their impoverished appearance contrasted with the opulence of Malifaux Station. The facade that the richly ornate train station tried to sell to incomers bore little relation to Malifaux as these rugged labourers knew it. Jostled out of her momentary distraction, Rasputina joined the flood of workers who climbed aboard the train. Unlike the cars, which were reserved for privileged guests to Malifaux, the cars that serviced the labour class were bare and utilitarian, filled with hard wooden benches and steel floors. Rasputina took a seat by one of the windows and looked onto the platform as it emptied. Now cleared of all the dusty workers, the station returned to a sparkling icon of Malifaux's riches. Though impressive, she only considered the empty platform for a moment. Reaching into her coat, she drew out the small, leather-bound journal she had taken from Philip Tumor's body. Its worn pages were well used. Worked into the leather on the cover were the words, The Philosophy of Uncertainty. The meaning, if there was one, escaped her. In Philip's final days, she knew he had suffered from a madness. She took the phrase to be the product of an ailing mind and prepared herself for the likelihood of more as she opened the book. Philip Toomers was a graduate student. He had travelled to Malifaux, accompanying his professor, Dr. Hyland, as part of a research group pursuing a new field of study he referred to as meta-anthropology. Rasputina thumbed through the pages, which detailed his journey west by rail and his impressions of the city of Malifaux. His notes included finely detailed sketches of almost everything he encountered, from the most mundane objects like the rail car he rode in, to the most fantastic, such as a brilliant rendering of the breach. She stopped flipping when she came upon the image she was looking for, and glanced furtively around to make sure no one else was looking. The car was crowded, but each passenger might have been alone for all the interest they took in one another. She returned to the journal. Philip had done an incredible job in capturing the structure on paper. 
It rose from a lake of black water with tall spires reaching toward the sky. The ruins looked like a dying spider on its back, its crooked legs held in a tight rictus. Philip called the ruins Kythera, a name arising from Dr. Hyland's final words. All about the sketch in a swirling cloud of maddened letters were inked the words, Till Grand Kythera Dow, repeated over and over. Rasputina's fingers brushed the page, feeling the indentations in the paper where his pen had scored the words over and over, the texture of his madness. She whispered the words to herself with a sense of foreboding, as if they were components of some ancient spell. Till Grand Kythera Dow. There was magic in this world, and despite her soft whisper, those words hung heavy in the air. The miner sitting next to her shifted in his seat, pushing a few inches away from her. The page opposite the drawing was crowded with words. As the train rattled beneath her, Rasputina read from the journal, curious for real information about Kythera, about her ultimate destination. Rasputina didn't know what she would find there. To her, it seemed that Philip Toomers had a penchant for the dramatic. He also had an inclination for very detailed notes. The maps and diagrams that he penned in this book would lead her to that place. She gazed out to the east, lost in thought. The train began to slow. Around her, the open plains became studded with small buildings as the engine made the approach to Ridley Station. With its dilapidated structures surrounded by wilderness, the place couldn't be more different to Malifaux Station. As for what lay beyond, on the way to Kythera, she could not begin to imagine. from down at the Houston family farms. How many times have you tried to order fresh meat only to be handed a slab of something that weren't shaped anything like you'd want to feed your kid? That's not a chicken, it's a cat. Well, down here at the Houston family farms, you are guaranteed to know just what you're putting on the table for the kids and missus. Come on down, pick out the pig you want to eat, and I'll crack it upside the head with a mallet and butcher it right there on the spot for you. We got big pigs, small pigs, fat pigs, thin pigs. You got a need, then I got the feed. And that there's the Houston family guarantee. Staying dead. Tell me, how long has she been dead? The judge asked. Molly's body lay motionless on the slab. The guild officer, known only as the judge, hovered over her. It was his duty to determine guilt, declare judgment, and carry out sentencing in the field. The criminal he most wished to judge remained elusive. Perhaps this corpse could help. His dark, hollow eyes moved from Molly's body to the guild coroner, a man named Douglas McMorning a jerky, excitable fellow who seemed to draw much more enjoyment from his morbid occupation than seemed appropriate to the taciturn judge. He had a thick mane of greasy hair and a bloody apron whose pockets were full of razor-sharp implements of his trade. 
His ever-present smile, toothy and manic, was a source of eternal irritation to those guild members unlucky enough to work with him. Ah, your honour, you're trying to trick me. Miss Squidpitch's funeral was well covered in the paper several weeks ago. Such a grisly end, and the paper spared none of the more morbid details. I think I have the story lying around here. I could look for it. The nervous McMorning responded, joining the judge at the slab. I'm not in the mood for your name, banter, the judge snapped, mentally shelving a note to inquire why McMorning would keep such a story on hand. How much has the body decayed? McMorning retrieved a large file from a nearby desk. He produced a series of photographs and laid them out on Molly's torso, his fixed grin aimed at the judge the whole time. I've only just brought her in, the judge said. How did you have time to take these? My point exactly, Your Honor, replied McMorning. I took these before her funeral, and I can guarantee that good as I am with preservative fluids and cosmetic touches, I'm not this good. No visible change in how long. My estimation of her time of death is identical to the report I filed when I received this body in the mug the first time. She shows no signs of decay since that day over a month ago. If I didn't know the circumstances of her reanimation, the judge snapped him a look but said nothing, I would be forced to conclude that she was nearly murdered. The coroner grinned crookedly before adding, But I knew she was one of Seamus' girls when I first laid eyes on her. It's a very particular taste, don't you think? I'm not interested in your aesthetic observations, McMorning. Only your professional. Very well, Your Honour. The technique used to reanimate this corpse has never been seen before. She's clearly not animated at present, but still lies under enchantment, for the body refuses to decompose. The amount of energy expended to accomplish this must have been great, uh, based on what we know of resurrectionist practices. That'll be all, McMorning. Leave the corpse in the file. I suggest you find something to occupy yourself with elsewhere. The lady is coming. She's not as indulgent of eccentrics as I am. McMorning twisted his face into a sneer. Your tolerance is overwhelming. The coroner turned his back and started toward the exit. Your Honor. Even while the door swung behind him, the judge could still hear him muttering to himself. Julie should get a sense of humor. That old severed hand prank was a classic. Just a little joke. His voice faded slowly, but the judge paid him no mind, now deep in Molly's file. He spread the remaining documents on the nearby table and sat down to study them. The first thing to catch his attention was a photograph taken by Molly herself. In life, the woman was a talented and well-regarded reporter for the Malifaux record. Her last story involved the recovery of a unique soul stone from the swampland east of Malifaux. The image showed the stone in the vault of the Malifaux Museum of Natural History, in a glass case that was meant to join an exhibit about the city bound for New Amsterdam. It was expertly cut and set in a delicate silver brooch. The teardrop cut of the stone and the venomous green tint gave the stone its name, the Gorgon's Tear, and few soul stones equaled its size. Molly's photograph, however, showed that the name had deeper meaning. Cloaked in the shadows behind the Gorgon's Tear display case was a statuesque woman. Her attractive shape was dressed in a voluminous and rich Victorian gown. Her tightly corseted waist accentuated her hourglass shape, while the scandalously low bodice and her slender, bare shoulders put the judge in mind of some of the ladies at the Star Theatre, although there the resemblance ended. Winding serpents were draped across her shoulders, and her head was a nest of vipers just like the Medusa of legend. The snakes concealed her eyes. A merciful thing, thought the judge, though her lips bore a smile both beautiful and frightening. 
The judge found himself momentarily mesmerized by the apparition's intriguing alchemy of beauty and terror, but the attached report assured him that the woman was a figment. Anomalies described as ghosts had been photographed in the past, and all had been debunked as natural phenomena or hoaxes. Guild researchers were busy at this moment trying to discover the source of this particular anomaly. Being in a room with the recently animated dead made him willing to consider the reality of the monster in the photograph, despite whatever science the researchers might posit. With that thought, he glanced up at Molly, just to confirm that she was still among the genuinely dead, and realized Lady Justice herself was standing scant feet away. Rising quickly, furious with himself for being caught off guard, he saluted. She returned his salute with an informal nod. Her practical attitude was reflected in her casual dress. Tall boots, denim pants, and a functional shirt. She seemed more at home in the streets of Malifaux than the offices of the guild. The tools of her trade, the heavy revolver and the long oriental blade, were slung low on either hip. If you didn't know who she was, you would never guess at her lofty position within the guild hierarchy. But then the judge considered, who in Malifaux did not know who she was? Though blind, Lady Justice nevertheless left everyone with the uncanny impression that she could see far better than they could. At ease. Brief me on the events of the cemetery. Sitting, he related to her the situation at the graveyard, of the scattered pieces of Philip Toomer's corpse and the discovery of Molly's body in his grave. He must have been well pleased with his discovery to have been so distracted as to leave Molly behind. She's clearly his most sophisticated reanimation to date. Agreed, Justice replied, her voice expressionless. Samael's report mentioned that Tuma's head was missing. Yes. I believe he may attempt some kind of divination. Justice approached Molly's body, unerringly avoiding the fresh spills on the tiled floor. Aside from the red stain in her burial gown, Molly looked peacefully asleep. The lady was reminded of the tale of the Lady of Astolat, and she was certain this corpse would meet her knight again. I'm more immediately concerned about recovering the Gorgon's Tear. The Governor-General underestimated its legend when he relinquished it to the Archive. It exhibits properties beyond those of a typical soul stone, she said. Samuel believes it to be what Madame Crid has coined a conduit, an object by which an immaterial entity might communicate with the physical. Madame Crid claims Miss Squidpidge's photograph confirms the existence of such entities. Theories are unimportant at this moment. That Seamus has managed to accomplish this with the tear makes it an unknown variable we cannot ignore. His capture is more important than ever. With lithe steps, she moved to stand over the body of Molly Squidpidge. You will use his body to bait him. He has shown attachment to his creations in the past. You will exploit this weakness and seize him. Yes, my lady. Lady Justice was silent, contemplating the body. I remember this one. She was a rare soul in this place. She does not deserve this end. She reached out, and with surprising tenderness took a bone-white hand in her own. The judge heard her curse and saw her holding up a severed hand that clearly did not belong to Miss Squidpidge. She dropped it in a bucket with a resounding clang. If you see McMorning... Yes, my lady. Break something? Yes, my lady.
wasn't that fun, citizens. If you are keen for more excitement, then do consult your preferred guild-authorised Vox listing pamphlet for our next broadcast. See you next time on Tales of Malifaux. Stay out of the dog park because, after all, bad things happen.